Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Andromai Sofogleus and Kemal Baikal. Strictly confidential United Nations minutes from the Gramontana Conference were leaked in the Greek Cypriot press. We discuss and analyze the context, content and implications of the leaks and touch on the lessons learned. Hello Kemal, how are you? Well, trying our best with the, uh, with the fluctuating currency in the north, but uh, let's not get into that in this program. We've decided that we wanted to spare a reserve this program for the the latest leakages on the Crown Montana discussions. Recently, there have been uh, five leakages uh, summarizing what happened on the last day of the conference of the Cyprus talks. But before get, getting into those, I think it's important to give a bit of a background. I think we need to remind our followers that back in 2004, sites have agreed the framework of the talks that would be bicommunal, bizonal, federal republic. And based on that uh, agreement, the talks had uh, resumed. And in 2015, Mr. Akunji was elected, which gave a boost in the talks. And up until 2017 in Crown Montana, um, there have been convergences on the, the chapters, which were, uh, there were actually uh, five chapters in the Cyprus talks. One was security and guarantees. The other one was power sharing. The third one was territory. The fourth was the EU matters. And the fifth was the economy, if I'm not mistaken. And then in all, on all these chapters, there have been certain convergences where sides have Uh, almost agreed on, on many different um, uh, topics. And um, when they came to Grand Montana, the idea was to uh, discuss the internal matters and external matters together with the participation of the guarantor powers and the EU and the UN. We know that because of the priority of the sides, they haven't agreed to choose specific topics to prioritize, to discuss, especially when it comes to the power sharing and uh, security and guarantees. And this is why there were two tables in Crown Montana on this final uh, conference. On one table, there were internal matters. And on the second, uh, they were discussing the security and guarantees, basically. The last uh, meeting was on the 6th of July where all sides came together around the, ta- the table and the United Nations Secretary General was trying to help the sides to bridge their, their differences, uh, which didn't happen. Now, the leakages, maybe you can talk a bit about it, uh, was about the, the last day's meetings on the 6th of July 2017. It gave a perspective on what really happened in those, uh, in those talks, but I'm passing the, the, the button to you now. Uh, thank you, Kemal. I think this has been a great summary. Well, so yes, and what have we experienced the past few days? We have experienced a major leak by Philelefteros newspaper and the journalist, the New York-based journalist, uh, Mihalis Ignatiou, who has been leaking the minutes from the um, um, final meetings towards the end of the Gramontana conference on the 6th of July. So who is behind the leaks, one would ask? Our belief is that uh, the presidential palace basically gave the documents to Michalis Ignatiou in an attempt to try to kill the interest in the issue. They needed a win, 
and they felt that if they passed on uh, the minutes, they could manipulate public opinion to such a way uh, that it would essentially vindicate them. Um, the, it is worth mentioning that the leaks came at a time when former uh, Nikos Anastasiadis aide, Makarios Drushotis, announced that uh, he's going to uh, uh, release a book uh, that, is, that will be titled the, the Crime at Gran Montana. And that book deals, uh, uh, apparently deals with uh, what took place prior to Gran Montana and the, during the Gran Montana conference. Um, from uh, Mr. Drushodis's interviews, it seems to be blasting against uh, Mr. Anastasiadis, but uh, we, we can discuss this uh, later on. The issue is that the leaks came at a time when this book was announced. And what the Philelefteros leaks did is that it was as though they were trying to kill the interest in this uh, process, to use the story in their own way in order to prove uh, the government's rhetoric. Uh, the leaks were covered by all media. Uh, the vast majority of them basically made no reference to Drushodis's upcoming book, but all the coverage was done through the lens of Anastasiadis' vindication. So the picture that emerged is that the minutes that were leaked prove uh, the stance of Anastasiadis all this time and prove that his own version of events was essentially uh, true. Well, we beg to differ with this, but we will discuss this later. Um, so basically, this is the, 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 the discussion on, this is how the discussion on the leaks started. But on my side, Kemal, I would like to stress that um, reading the minutes of some meetings does not make one expert in an issue and does not mean that if we read the minutes, we immediately understand what took place there. It is worth underlining and putting the whole thing in context, just like with everything else. We need to remind our listeners that for everything that took place in Cramontana, months of preparations were needed and months of preparations preceded. And everything that was discussed in Gran Montana and that we see in the minutes, including the implementation, um, the, the mechanism for the implementation and met monitoring of, uh, of the solution, they were uh, being prepared months prior to Gran Montana conference. So we need to put uh, everything we read in a context and we need to understand that all the discussions took place following intense consultations and deliberations between all the sides and the UN. So we are talking about uh, we are talking about the process uh, which dates back to 1960s um, in terms of the talks, uh, late 1960s. And um, we are talking about uh, various sides having their own positions. Um, some are uh, quite um, fixed and some uh, changed over the course of the time. And we are also talking about multiple international conferences uh, that took place um, a year before Cram Montana, within the, the time frame um, until Cram Montana. So I, I completely agree with you. I think it's important to realize that this was a process. Every suggestion has a background. Every position has a background and the relevant uh, suppositions to that. And it is not possible to understand what has really happened by, by reading the minutes only. But I think it's important that it it, it gives us a perspective. Exactly. I, I fully agree on this, Kemal. And 
we also need to remember that we are talking about negotiations. So the sides went there with a position, they 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 made their openings they showed the way as to uh, uh as to the point to which they could go and all these discussions that we read are in the context of a negotiations process as well so uh, we are not going to do what has been done by most media go over all the minutes and read them and think that our side is vindicated i think it's it's good for us to put a bit of an analysis into what's happening and i would like to start uh, discussing some of the implications of what uh, of the leaks and i would uh, say that there are there are clear implications for the united nations in this case um and there are a few dimensions in what i'm saying so on the one hand um as uh, the, the two of us and a lot of other people around us, we, we have for long uh, called for greater transparency in the negotiations. Um, this demand, we are going to discuss it a bit later on, but the issue here is that regardless of our true belief in transparency, this process was not transparent. And all the minutes that we see leaked are minutes of meetings that were supposed to stay w uh, within uh, closed walls. So. We understand that the United Nations must not be at ease with everything that is happening. We have major leaks. Um, the UN spokesperson in Cyprus refused to comment uh, on leaked material. Um, but, 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 but I am sure that this issue is of a concern to the United Nations. Why it happened, how it happened. And the other aspect is what the implications are for the UN's perception domestically and in Cyprus. Regarding the Greek Cypriot side, I must clearly say that the United Nations is currently demonized in the country. The United Nations Secretary General has been portrayed as clueless by some media stations, and I am pointing at Sigma TV. Uh, they have been lashing out against the United Nations Secretary General and the journalist in New York, a Greek Cypriot journalist in New York, even asked the United Nations Secretary General spokesperson about the leaks that proved that the United Nations Secretary General had tricked Anastasiadis into thinking that Turkey was willing to give up the unilateral right of intervention and the Treaty of Guarantee. So you see that this is taken at a greater level. You have domestic media, Greek Cypriot media that are constantly attacking the UN and basically openly saying that the United Nations Secretary General tricked President Anastasiadis and distorted Turkey's positions. So I think that the UN um, has a lot to think about following these leaks and has a lot uh, to consider. Yeah, so what other implications can you think of, Kemal? I think to give a little bit of a background here, um, it is important to understand that the Security Guarantees chapter became the most important issue uh, in the conference, uh, apparently, and also after the failure, after the collapse of the conference. It is important to remind our listeners that the Treaty of Guarantee is one of the founding international treaties um, of the Republic of Cyprus back in 1959 and 60. And there was also a Treaty of Establishment and the third one was the Treaty 
of alliance. And according to the Treaty of Alliance, a certain number of Greek and Turkish forces would be stationed in Cyprus. And according to the Treaty of Guarantee, the, the guarantors, the three international players, Turkey, Greece, and the UK, would be guaranteeing the independence and territorial integrity and the constitutional order of uh, the Republic of Cyprus. And on that uh, treaty, uh, where Turkey used this as, as, a, as, a, as a tool to justify its intervention back in 74, and this is why um, in the Greek Cypriot mindset, um, treaty of, of guarantee is actually a tool which gives an excuse for Turkey for further um, intervention of the Cypriot affairs and they wanted to get rid of this. And um, so this is why uh, historically uh, Turkey has also found it very important to stick to the Treaty of Guarantees, guarantees because it was an international agreement of the, of the time, of course, and it was something that Turkey find it very hard to give up um, because it kind of used it to justify its own presence in Cyprus. And this is why I think um, they wanted to see um, the progress in the, in the power sharing um, section to see where the Turkish Cypriots are playing a greater role in the management of the, the state because in the historical context and in the minds of the Turkish Cypriot and the Turkish side, uh, if there will be another failure in the new republic, they wanted to have assurances that they will not be stay uh, under uh, in the dark. And this is also another reason why they wanted to stick to that, um, which was actually going to be accepted as it is in the Annan plan back in 2004. So this was also a new development in that sense. Exactly. And this is, this is where I... I, I need to refer to something that the United Nations Secretary General told Anastasiadis, according to the minutes. It is interesting when Mr. Guterres told uh, President Anastasiadis that Turkey was basically willing to give up the unilateral right of intervention and uh, have the Treaty of Guarantee replaced by an implementation and monitoring mechanism. And Mr. Anastasiadis... So this was the gist of the matter, Andromache, yeah. isn't it? The idea was to have Turkey give up on the unilateral intervention rights uh, and to replace it with an implementation mechanism which actually explains how the new state of affairs will be implemented and in case of a, of a future potential crisis, how it will be handled. Exactly. And this is... Of course, we said we don't want to do any blame game, but we need to discuss the, the, the implications of what we read. This is where it becomes important to basically stop for one second and understand that we read things that openly refer to the end of the unilateral right of intervention and to the end of the Treaty of Guarantee. This is not out of our imagination. This is true and this was indeed discussed. So in itself, this is a, a huge realization for us to make. But I, I just want to refer to something uh, in the discussion between Mr. Anastasiadis and Mr. Guterres and after Mr. Guterres told Mr. Anastasiadis what we just explained. And then we read that Mr. Anastasiadis said that he could not accept to have Turkish troops remain in Cyprus indefinitely. And that was the point when the Secretary General reminded him that Cyprus was today under occupation. And what I'm trying to say here, Kemal, is that 
we are not discussing for something that is, uh, you know, that is our ultimate desire. We are discussing about the amelioration of a situation <laughs> and we are discussing about the removal of occupying troops from Cyprus. And at, at, at some point, it just feels like we are losing the, um, the significance of it. I think the context was, was lost. I mean, it is one thing to start a new computer game and then you, you, you say, okay, these are the things that I wanted to start with. These are the conditions. But this wasn't like, like this. Cyprus problem was not discussed in a vacuum. There have been certain realities on the ground and you were trying to get a, a, to a point where, which, where the minimum acceptable point uh, points are met by both sides to start somewhere so that you can actually, maybe in the future, make it even better. We all know that, um, of course, this was going to be an international um, setup. It was going to be a, 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 an agreement that would be difficult to break in the after after it was agreed. But it was it is important to to remind that this agreement would bring Cyprus uh, together that it would uh, lead to demilitarization of the island uh, with the exception of probably uh, some numbers which were in it, which were there uh, since 1960s as opposed to have a country divided and uh, it's a big chunk of soldiers uh, on 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 the on the, the, the island and the fact that the secretary general made it very clear that this was actually the case that that the sides are not willing to have their cards openly so they pledge their positions to the secretary general and secretary general said that you know they, these are the positions now again um, we don't exactly know what would the out, the final outcome be because we didn't have the chance to test the sincerity of the sides unfortunately the conference collapsed, but we, we needed to remember that whatever what was going whatever is going to be was going to be agreed, that was going to be put on vote. People would have a very clear picture on what they were voting. So this chance was taken away from us, and this is the the, the bitter part. And it's also important to stress here that the discussion of moving forward does not entail agreeing to things that one does not know what they are. It's just the next step, and this is something that we we understand by reading the minutes. We understand that Mr. Anastasiadis um, lacked this this understanding, or at least claimed to lack this understanding. And this is why at some point Turkish Cypriot leader Mr. Akinci said nobody will have to sign something that they don't know what, to, uh, what it is. I must say, Kemal, that reading the minutes, you, one gets the, the, the understanding that the feeling is that the people there just did not want it enough. Or at least some people there just did not want it enough. And they. If you ask my personal perspective on this, I think Turkey should be criticized uh, for, for pushing it too hard and for not giving enough chance to, to delay it even a little bit for, uh, uh, further, to maybe to bank what has been agreed and then in a month's time to agree on, on another um, round of talks. And um, that can maybe be explained. That can be maybe explained by the fact that I think Mr. Chaushoglu was very aware of the fact that the openings 
that he was making in Gran Montana would not be maybe welcomed by the big majority of the Turkish people and the Turkish political establishment. And that actually gives maybe another indication why this was such an important chance. When it comes to uh, the Greek Cypriot side, I think one reading the minutes and how um, the Greek Cypriot leader was actually countering the Secretary General openly and then questioning what he was saying and then questioning what his statements are, uh, making it very clear that um, they were pushing too hard to test uh, and then get the, the, you know, get their position um, very clearly written on the, on, on the paper. Uh, and then at a time when the talks were not actually finalized. And this was also another indication for me that the Greek Cypriot leader was not really looking forward a way out to the next process to, to, to develop and mature the process without giving up its own position, but rather to, to, to push it to an extent that it would lead to a no from the other side. Yeah, and, and speaking about the Greek Cypriot leader, one needs to ponder. We are, we are talking about the leader of a country that is basically under occupation. And uh, you have the UN Secretary General coming to you, to this leader, and tells him that uh, this big power, your great enemy, has made an opening and they are willing to give up the unilateral right of intervention in your country and the Treaty of Guarantee that ties you until today. And you, the leader of this country, do not rush to take this up. Do you? question this a hundred times, like uh, you said, Kemal, and do you question the Secretary General himself who told you this? These are questions that are raised in one's mind when one reads the minutes. And not only, a big number of troops would be withdrawn from day from one. Exactly. That was also another achievement, in, you know, as opposed to, to having them stationed in Cyprus because <laughs> because of the failure of the talks. And I, I think they were discussing about something like 80, 000, 80% uh, reduction from day one. And these are all questions that come to one's mind. And you before you referred to Mr. Chavuzoglu and the problem of, Tur of the Turkish Foreign Affairs Ministry to present uh, this um, upcoming then uh, agreement to the Turkish uh, public and I think this perspective is also very important because we often lose sight of it. There is this reference by Mr. Chavusoglu in the minutes of this distrust towards the Greek Cypriot side before because of the leaks and. I don't know if you remember, Kemal, during the Kramontana conference, the Greek Cypriot side had leaked uh, to Sigma Live the starting position of Turkey in uh, Kramontana. And this, um, this is actually cited as the reason that Mr. Chavuzoglu was not willing to put anything uh, written down concerning guarantees, because the understanding that we get from reading the minutes and from what we know, in fact, uh, is that Mr. Chavuzoglu understood that it would be very hard to sell the what we are discussing about the end of the Treaty of Guarantee to the Turkish public and even to the um, MHP, the, the party with which um, uh, Erdogan is uh, in power. And uh, 
so he had this difficulty and the, the, and, and the whole situation with the leaks was not making things any better. So these are all also issues that one needs to consider when we look at, at this. But honestly, reading the minutes, it's just sad that there is no sight of the greater vision. Nowhere in the minutes do you see people that are united in their desire to come to a solution in the country. Nowhere. And I think that that was the ultimate issue. There was no political will. The Secretary General had said it very well in his report after Kramontana. There was no political will. There was no vision. Ultimately, there was no desire uh, for federal Cyprus, I think. So here's my question. What have we learned from this process? Well, I think uh, for me, transparency is important, Kemal. Can, ah. Let's clarify to our readers, because we are complaining that there, are, there have been leakages, but we also want transparency. I think the difference is that when these sides are in intense negotiations and then they were willing to make some openings, it is important that they do it in a safe space. So we are not justifying the leakages as transparency. Transparency is about United Nations pushing the sides to uh, in, involve uh, the media, involve the, um, let's say, uh, citizens, the, the civil society, so that they would know how things are shaping up rather than a specific moment in the specific confidential talks, things are being leaked. So there is this difference, I think. Well, I also think that transparency is about not having to wait for four years to read the minutes of some meetings. I mean, people should have already known what took place and people should have already known objectively what took place, not having to rely on the rhetorics of either side in order to shape their opinion. And the absence of people from this process is always evident when the processes collapse, because this is what we see here, that people were absent. And in all honesty, I don't even know how many people are interested in this discussion. I don't even know whether it's like a, a, this bubble of Cyprop geeks that tend to discuss all these issues. What I know, though, is that the clear perception in the Greek Cypriot society today is that these leaks, whatever these leaks are, because I don't think that the majority of people actually read them, uh, but the main perception is that Mr. Anastasiadis is now vindicated. His rhetoric and all the uh, things that he has been expressing for four years are, are, are vindicated. And this is the dominant perception that basically remains after all this in the Greek Cypriot society. And we need to acknowledge this. The second outcome, I would say, is that after the collapse in Kramontana and uh, until uh, today, we also have been hearing different power sharing alternative mechanisms. We heard about the 1960, going back to 1960, we heard about decentralized federation. But what we understand from the, the minutes and from what we know is that the, the, the main reason of the failure was the security and guarantees. If this was the case, why were we spending time and energy to discuss the other um, issues as the main you know, solution models to, to overcome the obstacles that 
started to come up after the failure in Kramontana. And why do we open issues like political equality? Why do we openly challenge political equality? Uh, why do we raise the issue of the single positive vote uh, as the major issue of the Greek Cypriot side? I mean, all of these are, are basically things that do not stick if one thinks about it. Maybe the third issue would be the Cyprus problem continues to become a headache for the EU and the EU was present in the talks and uh, how come that the EU didn't play a, a, let's say a more important role trying to avoid the the you know train wreck um, in Kramontana. I'm not saying that on this particular conference the EU should be blamed but I think we should be expecting a more active role in, in the EU to, throughout the process. Well this is something that comes to mind. I, I think that this is all the more important if one considers what we discussed before about the problematic image of the United Nations in Cyprus at the moment. The EU should step up at this stage and should become the driving force behind cooperation, behind uh, um, mutual agreements and behind the enhancement of contact between the sides um, in absence of a solution. Because in all honesty, I believe that the United Nations will take some time to reflect. Um, if you remember, we had been discussing about the supposed appointment of a new special represent representative. This has not happened and I do not think that it's going to happen anytime soon because I'm sure at the United Nations they are themselves a bit numb. The other interesting observation that I made is that there was a cleavage between Greek and Greek Cypriot sides at one mo and one point at one moment and um, and then we also heard uh, news about how uh, Mr. Anastasiadis and Greek Cypriot side uh, have been rejecting interventions from Greece at a time when Greece was trying to become more involved through via its own uh, prime minister, and then they, that you know they didn't accept uh, Mr. Tsipras, uh, the prime minister of the time, to to come into um, the the picture. Yeah, that was uh, a bit of a side effect of the tension of the moment, I think. But Greece was not reflected as a positive party before Kramontana. I remember at the time uh, in Montpellier, how Greece was uh, portrayed as a country that was trying to mm. overplay it. But even in January 2017 in, in Geneva, if you remember in, in, in Switzerland, it was uh, Mr. Kojas who basically blew the whole <laughs> conference up and uh, by holding that uh, press conference. And uh, so, yes, in, interestingly, and we discussed this before in our previous podcasts, in Kramontana, what we know at least uh, from our discussions is that in Kramontana, uh, Greece ha actually had a more proactive role than in previous sessions. And even if you read the minutes from the, even if you read the minutes from the dinner, you see um, that Greece was in fact the the only country that was insisting on discussing the mechanism for the implementation and monitoring of the solution. So maybe uh, what we know about it having a more pro proactive and positive stance in Gran Montana was indeed true. And uh, Kemal, what other sort of implications to you, do you see concerning the process now and the situation on the ground now? I think the fact that the politicians who were there on behalf of the people had the comfort 
of letting conference collapse and not worrying about the potential risks made me really upset. The fact that uh, Mr. Anastasiadis, for example, was thinking that maybe um, he might get a better chance uh, by rejecting what is on the table in Gran Montana and hoping that a better chance maybe will, uh, will uh, appear after he after he is elected after his re-election uh, made me really um, you know surprised and how comfortable the, the sides were ready to take that risk um, the politicians were, were to take that risk now um, after the failure um, in Gran Montana I think what happened we found ourselves in a, the Turkish and Turkish Cypriot side uh, clearly violating the the UN resolutions by suggesting a two-state solution. We found ourselves in a situation where Russia is now opened against the UN uh, resolutions. We found ourselves that uh, Mr. Akuncu, a pro-solution leader, lost the elections and Mr. Tatar, who has no clue about anything, is now elected. And the Turkish Cypriots lost being a real agent in the game. And um, and then a situation where in now we are now in terra incognita. We don't know where the process is leading. We don't know whether um, you know there ever be a prospect for the talks to, to start. We don't know what's going to happen until the elections, and we don't know we don't know what's going to happen after the elections. Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. I think we are in lack of a vision, in lack of a strategy and in lack of knowing what we want. And uh, the saddest part of it all is that I think that the Greek Cypriot public and actually the Turkish Cypriot public as well, I believe that people are fed up, they are tired, they are not interested in the issue. And I believe that we've reached a state in which things in this perspective are much more aggravated. We have discussed many times before the issue of apathy uh, in our communities, but I think that at this stage, we've, been, we've gone beyond apathy and we've reached a state in which the Cyprus problem is literally a non-issue for the majority of Cypriots. And uh, I, I, this is what I see, and um, I think it's going to require a lot of political will for things to change at the moment. And I don't see any side to have the necessary political will to drive things forward. And that's why um, collaboration at this stage to the minimum extent at least, is essential. And that's why the the people that want this collaboration, this contact, they should start up uh, voicing their desire because nobody else will do it. As you rightly pointed out, a negotiation process requires side to um, try to catch their minimum agreeable positions to be met. And uh, it is important that not all your positions will be met and then it's important to realize, to reunite a country, to demilitarize it, to make it one again, to uh, give this chance to the Cypriot people uh, was missed uh, for some reason that we are not convinced that was justifiable. And now we found ourselves in a drastic situation of a, of a permanent uh, uh, division, or possibility of a permanent division. And, uh, and, the, and then the people who are responsible to the waters are not having the guts to explain it to the people or to um, explain despite the promises that they were 
given that they gave when they were they were being elected how this failed and how they couldn't achieve this so uh, at the end of the day i think it's important for cypriots and for the international community to understand that the solution was and is possible in cyprus it's all about showing commitment showing leadership showing involvement and then having different uh, as uh, having different uh, sectors having different groups to have more involvement in a positive way to have the civil society to have the women to have the the, um, the you know the, the political parties to be more involved in a way that would be and, and even the international community to give a very clear message that they wanted to see that the, the agreement and uh, i think this is something that uh, uh, we have learned hopefully <laughs> from it and uh, it is important for cypriots to uh, question their leaders whoever they are and uh, to, to make them accountable and to ask for greater participation in everything that's uh, happening I I think that's a good uh, analysis, Kemal. I must say, I think we touched uh, on the core issues. Um, yeah. For our listeners, we need to mention that the leaked documents will be put on our episode uh, page. Uh, just go to islandtalks.fm and click on uh, Nicosia Uncut and click on the episode. And then there you will see the leaked documents and uh, for your own uh, analysis yes and but read the leaks themselves and do not uh, read the commentary uh, that was circulated in the press mm -hmm. um, so make your own uh, judgment yes, make your own judgment so thank you very much kemal i really enjoyed this discussion thank you thank you see Anna you Mar soon see you soon